Rainmaker FM. You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, the place to be for digital entrepreneurs. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. That's rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. Welcome to The Digital Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Sean Jackson, and I'm joined as always by the tenacious Katie Katz. Katie, how are you today? Doing well, Sean. Doing well, even despite the um, allergy-inducing pollen that's taking (laughs) over Houston right now. (laughs) Well, at least you are well, and that leads me to ask you another personal question, since we talked about your health. I want to ask you the following. You ready? Yes. Okay. Have you ever set a goal for yourself, worked like crazy to try to get that goal achieved, just to find out when you get to the end, it's not what you wanted to begin with (laughs) or was not (laughs) going to be anywhere near what you thought it was going to be? Has that ever happened to you, Katie? Uh, More times than I can count, but and I'm sure the same for you, but one that sticks out in my mind is my undergraduate degree was actually in art history. And I had this goal that I wanted to be a museum curator and work in, you know, a really prestigious museum. And I, I achieved my goal of getting my undergraduate degree. I made it all the way to the end. I was top of my class. I, I was doing very well in the program and I had a meeting with the director of the program. And he basically said, well, you know, you're just, you didn't, you're not done. Like you're only partway there. You still have to compete to get accepted in this very difficult program for the doctorate degree that only accepts eight people every year. And then if you do well in that program, which is very rigorous, you have to compete for one to two spots that open every few years in museums throughout the country. And when I, when I put it in that perspective, even though the competitor in me thought, well, I can do all that the numbers person in me said that is not a very good odds game that I want to play. And I definitely redirected. (laughs) It's tough. It's tough because, and it happens to us all, right? We, we start out with an idea and we work towards that idea and it becomes our goal and we put all of our heart and soul into it. And then when we get closer and closer, we realize, wait a minute, it's, it's, it's different. It's not what I thought it was going to be. And it's tough. I mean, we've all faced it. And someone who has faced that and has done a beautiful job writing about it is our friend Rand Fishkin. Rand has a new book out called Lost and Founder that Katie and I were lucky enough to get an advanced copy of. And I will tell you, it will blow you away when you read this book. And what you're going to find, I think, in those pages, and certainly from today's interview we have with Rand, is All of the ideas that he had and how they started to manifest themselves over the years, the ups and downs, the good, the bad, really led him to a new place of understanding with both its highs and lows of disappointment and exhilaration. And we will talk to Rand about all of those things when we get back from this short break. 
Hey, my name is Brian Gardner, and I am the creator of StudioPress, the first premium marketplace for WordPress themes. When I created StudioPress, I could never imagine that more than 200,000 WordPress site owners would use StudioPress to build some of the most elegant and inspiring WordPress sites on the web. And I am not just talking about the numerous large companies that use it. Tens of thousands of food bloggers, podcasters, affiliate marketers, real estate agents, photographers, and many more have created some of the most compelling mobile responsive websites using StudioPress. But that is not all. To make it easy for you to create a compelling WordPress site, we have introduced StudioPress Sites, a turnkey simple method to create and grow your WordPress site. StudioPress Sites includes many of our most popular WordPress themes, with unique SEO tools and plugins all integrated on our high-performance, secure, and actively managed hosting infrastructure. So when you are ready to take your WordPress site to a new level without the worry or hassle of less robust solutions, then I hope you will visit StudioPress.com. Over 200,000 bloggers and webmasters trust StudioPress for their WordPress site, and we work hard every day to earn it. Welcome back from the break. So Katie, please introduce us to our very special guest today. Absolutely. So today our speaker doesn't require a lot of introduction. Most people know Rand Fishkin as the founder and wizard of Moz, and he has educated the SEO community for many, many years. And he has recently started a new venture called Spark Taro and has a book coming out called Lost and Founder. And we are going to hear a little bit more about that today. Rand, welcome to the show. Sean, Katie, thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. So I get a copy of your book on Saturday morning and open it up thinking I'm going to read a story about how wonderful it is to be a tech entrepreneur in the SEO space. Boy, was I shocked. Rand, you provide one of the most honest accounts of what it is like being the founder of a technology company that I have ever read. You hold nothing back, the good, the bad, and all the things in between. The painful story of how you started the business, the huge debt you incurred, and all the decisions and their repercussions in growing that business to over $45 million in revenue. So why? Why would you write such an honest account of what it really is like being the founder of a tech company? And in doing so, potentially bursting the dreams of people that feel like they can create their own unicorn. Building this business had a bunch of wonderful elements to it. And and one of the best elements absolutely has been folks like you, right? The SEO community, the the people in this field. I've loved that. But there have been a lot of ugly side effects and things I didn't expect. And I and I hate the fact that so few entrepreneurs uh, so few companies, so few startups or venture capitalists or uh, investors or people who've been through this before are willing to talk about it because we're wrapped up in this American cult of business positivity, right? You you go to LinkedIn and it's all updates about, well, I struggled with this and then I had an amazing breakthrough and you know this was a hard thing and look how incredible it is now. And that is just not reality. So this this book is really about uh, taking a realistic, honest look at downsides that come from this. So, you know, things like, I mean, I talk about, you know, my depression, I talk about the layoffs that Moz went through. Uh, I talk about the bankruptcy in the, or near bankruptcy in the early days. Um, I talk about the challenges of switching from, you know, product to services and about all the poor launches that we've had over the years and falling behind competitors, all those kinds of things, because, 
I think that those stories give far more value than the rah, rah, rah culture of, you know, I was in my basement coding and then look, I built a billion dollar company. I'm amazing. Saran, I put this book in the same category as The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, another book that gives an unvarnished look at what it takes to build a technology business. In fact, Ran, I think you need to send a copy of this book to every VC in Silicon Valley, New York, Boston, everywhere, and have them give a copy to every person that comes in to pitch them. And the reason is, is that you leave nothing off the table. You go through everything that a founder will encounter on their journey, and most importantly, the ramifications of all those decisions you made over the years. You know, this is such a powerful story and such an easy read that I believe it is a must read for anyone starting a business. Okay, so that's my plug for the book guys so katie i will turn it over to you well, yeah honored, so it, thank you I, I completely agree with sean you know second everything he says um one of the things you talked about quite a bit in the book is is that transition that you made with moz going from a service business to a product and um you you'd spend quite a bit of time helping people assess whether consulting is right for them or whether they should get into a product space can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what is your advice if you were to sum it up? Yeah, sure. So I think the way to think about it is uh, from a perspective of what you what you gain and what you lose, uh, as well as what skills you're going to need to apply and um, what you have to be good at to make a product business function. And I think, unfortunately, what's happened, uh, especially in the last 15 years or so, in the tech world is that product businesses, because they have a higher financial multiplier on revenue in an acquisition situation or an investment situation, be because of that one aspect, they get incredibly overly glorified and services businesses get underappreciated. And so in the book, I try to make this you know, financial comparison uh, between two imaginary founders one running a services business, another running a product business, both of whom you know, have some success and end up selling their companies and then looking at the outcomes for them, uh, as well as looking at the, the outcomes you know, uh, financially for them during their tenures. And look, the answer is that product companies have a much lower rate of success. Um, you know, tech product startups have something like a 10% uh, survival rate after five years and services companies have a 55% survival rate after five years, which is, which is actually one of the highest in the new business category in the United States. Um, so just trying to be honest about the fact that, um, building a product business is not a panacea. It's not the only thing you should aim for. And I worry that the, the tech media has glorified it so much that, you know, pretty much every agency owner I talk to is, says to me, oh, yeah, Moz, you guys switched to software. How did you do that? We're thinking about switching to software. Right? Yeah, so, mailbox um, money. That's what yeah. everybody's after. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, I want to get paid while I sleep. Well, yes. <laughs> turns out it sounds really nice. There's a bunch of things you might not be considering. Okay, so thinking of what you're saying about really assessing what your strengths are, um, it it reminds me of something that I was thinking about as I was reading the book is you mentioned this several times and I've also heard you talk about how um, one of your worries was that 
that your lack of technical development experience impacted your ability to um, be the CEO that you wanted to be for Moz. And you've talked really openly about that. Um, how do you how do you have see that experience impacting and, and affecting how you're going to run Spark Toro? Yeah, I think uh, that is still a fundamental weakness for me. Right, I am not I am not building the product behind Spark Toro, and um, I do have a I have a co-founder, but um, that person is not yet joined full time, and so we're keeping keeping that identity quiet uh, for a while, but. You know, my co-founder is very technical, uh, and we talked very we talked really openly about this when we decided to start working together. Which is, you know, I I said, hey, I would really like to be deeply involved. I want to I want to understand everything about what we're building. Uh, you know, I want the AWS logins. I want the GitHub access. Even if I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and I promise not to touch it. Right? <laughs> I want you to show me. Uh, every system we're building, every API that we have internally, right? All the I want I want to understand the systems architecture. I want to know where everything's running, um, just to have a, a much uh, deeper, even if it's a surface level uh, understanding of the of the tech side. I think that's that's super important, and it, all of this can be explained. I mean, there's you know I've met taxi drivers who understand the blockchain better than I do, so th- this is uh, possible. Right to to get a good grasp on what is going on, even if you're not actually uh, writing the code yourself, and I think that's that's definitely advice that I'd have. And yeah, I talk about it in the book how um, Sarah Bird, who's Moz's current CEO, sort of ramped up her technical knowledge, um, and she actually contributed a a segment to the book about that as mm-hmm. well. But it's yeah, it's a painful memory, right, of going back in time and saying, "Gosh, I never got deeply involved enough." at Moz, at least until the, the very end, uh, to understand things and to be able to add to add value there. Um, but I hope that'll change. So in reading the book, there was something glaring in those pages. You have a very well-known personality in the SEO space. You basically become a one-name brand, right? Your writings are well-known. You regularly appear at conferences. And online videos that you have done have really made you someone that everyone (laughs) knows and almost kind of like a rock star, right? And on top of that, you went through these incredible challenges to get Moz off the ground and help rapidly grow it. And then on top of all of that, you get a rock star VC firm like Foundry Group, which made a huge investment in your business. So here you are, the rock star founder of a hot company, and now it's time for you to put the pedal to the metal. And you want to do everything, so you do everything. And while you built an incredible culture at Moz based on your tag fee mantra of transparency, fun, etc., you were still the guy so you set off to do whatever you wanted and people in the organization naturally deferred to you because you know you were the rock star but you got into trouble and a lot of what you wanted to build ended up being less successful because it was all about what you wanted to do so in hindsight what would you recommend to a founder or someone in the c-suite to build the right type of feedback loops that can avoid that deference to the rock star founder or senior executives to the business? Yeah, uh, I love that question. I, I think that the thing that's been most successful for me on that in my later and hopefully more humble years was staying very, very close to customers. 
So not not necessarily trying to build in an internal team with a lot of you know rivalry and disagreement. I, I think some of that can be healthy too, right? And I, I talk about that a bit in the chapter um, about getting diversity into your team. But uh, I think that staying close to customer opinion and not just uh, surface level customer opinion, right? What do you think of this product? But can I watch you do your job? Can I do your job with you, right? Um, putting yourself in, in their shoes will, is a powerful, powerful way to avoid the trappings of, I can, you know, I'm the genius and I can build what I want, especially in, frankly, especially in B2B and in, in SaaS, uh, software as a service, because you don't have to lead the market, right? You're not trying to build Twitter in 2005, uh, you're not trying to build, you know, Airbnb in 2007. You are really trying to follow the market and build something that they need that will replace their existing process, painful processes today. And customer, the, the wonderful thing about customer um, living the lives of your customers, right? Actually watching them do their work is that there's no amount of yeah, what you called rock star status, um, which I might dispute. I think, you know, maybe sort of um, famous nebishy, uh, <laughs> you know, speaker doesn't quite count as rock star, but okay. Um, the, yeah, the ability to, to stay close to them means that you're not going to get any sort of celebrity treatment, right? You're just going to see that they're, they're using your product or they're not. They're using it in these ways or they're not. They're doing this other manual process or... They're not. They're using a competitor for something or they're not. Um, and th that can really help humble you. You know, you mentioned this in the book where you talk about switching CEO jobs with Sear Interactive. I mean, literally for an entire week, you lived his life and he lived yours, answering emails, doing client pitches, etc. And one of the things you point out in the book is when you saw how this major agency was using Moz along with other tools, it was almost like they had no brand loyalty. They would switch from tool to tool to get whatever result they were hoping to achieve. And this overall experience was a real eye opener in thinking about how agencies and customers use tools. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, I mean, it was a you know sort of mind-changing experience uh, where I came back to Moz and said, wait a minute, I, I, I know why I was on the wrong path. I know why this product that we're building is struggling so much. Um, and I felt like I knew, knew what we needed to do. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, it was, it was poor timing, right? I, I was... Uh, just about to go through a deep episode of depression and, um, you know, step down as CEO and yeah, lost some influence, uh, in the company at that point. But I do think that was a re really powerful experience and hopefully someone that something that a lot of other folks can learn from. Cause I, I shared a couple of products that I built after that, that went really well. Um, no, mo probably most notably cured explorer and, and then another one that's still yet to come out that I wrote a little bit about in the book. So one of the things that Sean mentioned during his introduction is that he thought that um, this book should be handed out by every VC in the business. <laughs> um, and I, I actually found that kind of an interesting comment because in reading the book, um, I thought I, it's not exactly the most positive light um, that you set, shed on the VC community. Um, not that it's entirely negative, but you're very, very transparent about the experience um, in ways that 
I definitely learned quite a bit in, in that section and un didn't understand entirely the way the whole process worked um, and had quite a bit of personal interest in it um, for a venture I'm working on. And so I know a lot of the people who are listening from whether they're having a consulting business or look interested in looking into start a product all have the question of cash flow and where that's going to come from. Um, so if, if VC isn't the way to go necessarily, if it's not the right option for you, what are some other opportunities that, that you see that people can pursue? Yeah. So uh, Katie, you're, you're definitely right. I think that there is more transparency about the, the being VC backed and what that means. And, you know, I think Foundry is actually one of, in my opinion, the, the very best investors that you could possibly get in the venture world, um, especially from my experience, you know, pitching lots of other venture capital firms uh, who leave much to be desired in, in lots of realms. Uh, the, what, what I would say about that is that venture is right for an extremely small number of businesses. And I think this is something that every venture capitalist would agree with that their money is right for very, very, very few businesses. There was a, you know, there's an analogy that a lot of them make, which is venture capital is, is rocket fuel. The expectation is that you're going to leave low orbit of the earth with this business. And if you put, you know, if you are building a gorgeous house or a jet plane, but one that plans to say, stay, you know, in the atmosphere, then rocket fuel is a bad choice. It will almost certainly blow up your lovely house or your jet plane or whatever it is that you're building. Um, and so there needs to be, I don't want to just say alignment, but clarity of what taking venture means. And, um, and I try to be really specific about that in the book. The, I noted in the afterward that there's a, there's a number of other options for uh, folks. So one, you know, one thing that I'm doing Right now, I am raising, um, and I've chosen to raise an angel-only round. And you know, that's a lucky thing that I get to do because I have a, a broad network of lots of people in the tech world. But uh, that certainly is an option. Uh, doing, doing a crowdfunded raise through something like AngelList has become extremely popular. Um, and I like, I like that model a lot. It gives a lot more freedom and flexibility than having institutional investors. There are also institutional investors what, that are called uh, micro VCs, and they make money even if you are not, you know, they can make money on a jet plane and not a rocket ship. So if you're, you know, if your venture fund is $10 million or $25 million in size instead of $500 million or a billion dollars in size, you know, an exit, a company selling for $25 or $30 million can actually be a win for you. Um, and I think that, you know, that's an option that kind of comes off the table when you take from one of these larger funds. Uh, another, you know, another thing that um, a lot of folks have been doing is the rewards-based crowdfunding, right? So Kickstarter and Indiegogo, those types of things, that, those are awesome choices. That's essentially early customers saying, I want this thing so badly, I will fund your company and wait, you know, a year or two years or however long it is. Uh, and I, I love that model. I think that's Fantastic, right? Really a very, very cool and rewarding one. Not typically offered in software, but in a lot of other businesses, it is. Um, and then, of course, you know, there's, there's bootstrapping, right? There's, oh, I'll do this nights and weekends. I'll, you know, consult on the side. I will keep my day job. 
Um, and many, many founders do that very successfully. There's a wonderful community of them, actually, that, uh, that I started following through Cortland Allen called Indie Hackers. And I, uh, I love that, too. So, yeah, a lot more options than there used to be, which is great. So, Rand, in reading this book, reading about the huge financial pains you went through in starting the business, nearly driving your family into bankruptcy, you can really see how you began to craft the entire business around a very specific goal. A company that was going to be huge, a market leader, using the same framework that so many other venture-backed businesses have followed. And you did it. You got a marquee VC firm to invest in you. You grew revenue drastically, and yet the results were not what you had expected. So talk a little bit about this idea of unintended consequences. Sure, you can set a goal, and you may actually achieve that goal, but guess what? Maybe achieving it was not what you really thought it would be. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. So I think this is at the core of the difference between truth and transparency. Truth is if you build, you know, a successful growing business, you can get venture capital, right? If it, if it has the right metrics and it uh, looks promising in these ways, and you can raise more money on top of that if, you know, it continues to grow and succeed. And if you uh, take it all the way to the end, you can have an IPO and you can stand, you know, at the New York Stock Exchange or on the NASDAQ and, and they'll ring the bell for you and everyone will celebrate you. And you'll have, you know, not just millions or tens of millions, but potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in your personal bank account that you can then use to change the world in the way that you see fit or, you know, live the crazy life that, you know, you, you think that you want. And technically, that is true. Transparency is saying uh, that reality is far less likely than winning all night at a casino. Um, <laughs> and, and also saying uh, that those, those milestones... Uh, may not be, let's see, they're, they only matter if you hit all of them. And you, you have to, <laughs> that transparency is very hard to comprehend. And until you, you know, go through and explore the, the full story of why that is, I think it's really tough. It's been so tough for agency owners, right? Friends of mine, like, like Will Reynolds, to look at Geraldine and I and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, how is it that with a company that's doing, you know, fractions of your revenue, um, I'm financially better off than you guys are. That doesn't make any damn sense at all. Or, um, you know, at talking to folks about an angel raise and they're like, oh, well, you know, are you, are you just thinking of bootstrapping, self-funding and sort of being like, actually, I don't really have any money. So no, I'm not thinking of doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Uh, and I think that's a, you know, that's the financial side, but there's also the financial side and the reality for employees. And I try and talk about that a lot in the book too, spending time on when you join a startup, what does that mean? When you get stock options, what does that actually mean? How should you think about them? And this, that kind of transparency, I think, is too rare. It's too rare. It needs to be talked about. Uh, it frustrates me. I don't want to spoil the book for everyone, but there is a section of the book that when you read it, you will be blown away. 
It is a story Rand has not publicly shared and one that very few people know. I don't want to reveal too much, but there is a specific point along this journey where you had a very hard decision to make that had huge ramifications. And you can really yeah. feel the pain of what it took for you to make that tough call, knowing that it was the right decision at the time, but that in hindsight, if you had taken that alternative path, you might have achieved your real goal. Mm -hmm. Rand, I think that is why your book is so powerful. It really shows that when you make any decision as a founder, there are other risks that come up with each future decision built upon the previous ones, amplifying those risks. That is why I love Lost and Founder, Rand. It really reveals an honest, unvarnished look at all the choices you had to make in building and growing Moz, the good, the bad, and the I can't believe you did that moments. So, Rand, you ended the book talking about your future plans, and I know Katie wants to know more about what you are going to do next. So <laughs> Yeah, I'd love selfishly to be able to get a little more insight into Spark Toro. Um, you it, it says online that you know it's going to be an influencer and um, data collection about your audience platform. Um, and one of the things, one of the problems I know that many of the brands that I've worked with have had frustrations with working with influencers is that just because someone has like. 15,000 followers doesn't necessarily mean that they can garner results. And so a company will spend mm -hmm. a lot of money to work with those people and just really don't have that insight into what actual results could come of those different outlets. Uh, is that something that you're kind of hoping the tool will solve or what, what is your thinking? Yeah. So the, the fundamental idea underlying it is I, is basically this, this problem that I kept seeing marketers both in in-house and at agencies encounter, which is they would have a new, you know, they have a new product they're rolling out or a new audience they're trying to reach. Uh, and they'd go through this process of trying to discover, okay, who are the uh, influential people and what are the influential publications and what are the uh, podcasts and events and uh, YouTube channels and all these different sources that this audience pays attention to. And that process is a bunch of guesswork, uh, a bunch of Googling and looking at whatever the top lists are, uh, at some manual you know, review on some social networks. And sometimes if they're very sophisticated, they would survey their audience. And none of those, would, none of those sources came back with true accuracy, right? What, in an ideal world, what you would want to do is you would want to say, okay, let me uh, collect the laptops, right, and phones from a thousand people in my audience, and then go and look at what are all their bookmarks and what what websites do they visit the most, and who do they all follow on Twitter, and what are the Facebooks groups that the highest percentage of them are part of, and uh, what YouTube channels do they subscribe to, and what podcasts are they listening to, and what events are they signed up for? But that's that's hard to do, right? I mean, first mm -hmm. off, stealing someone's laptop and phone is still theft. <laughs> um, even even if you bring it back to them, uh, and 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 second, doing that at scale is truly difficult. And so what what we're trying to build is essentially a a data set of those of enough individuals, right? Of of millions, tens of millions of profiles who have enough public data that we can do sampling. Um, you know. We, anonymize the profiles of course we're not actually interested in you know who the person is or what their name is but rather okay we have you know 1100 people 
or profiles in our database that look like they're interior designers. Let's see what the overlap of who they follow, what they pay attention to, what they read is. So we can give that data to a marketer and say, in order, these are the most you know, influential publications. These are the most listened to podcasts. These are the most watched YouTube channels. These are the most attended events in the space. And that, that we think is a, a, a very powerful way of getting a lot more accuracy so that you don't get biased by, oh, this person has lots of followers on Instagram. I should just buy a sponsored post from them. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that probably is not going to move the needle in the, in the way that, oh, we found this publication. It's followed by a high percentage of our audience. We managed to get a guest contribution in there or, or, or an op-ed or uh, we managed to get invited to their you know, premier event and uh, keynote their, their conference. Okay, that, that is really going to actually move the needle for our brand to the people that we want. And that's, that's what we're hoping to build. And the name of that tool is? Well, it has no name yet, but the, the company is SparkToro. I suspect the tool will be something, SparkToro something. I only bring it up because at the end of your book, you talk about all the decisions you now face in creating a new company and technology. Once again, sharing with your readers the behind the scenes look at your new journey. The name of the book is Lost and Founder by Rand Fishkin and available April 24th. That is right. Yeah. Audiobook, Kindle, hardcover, all April 24th. And can they pre-order the book on Amazon? You can pre-order it anywhere you'd like. You can go to Indie Books or Powell's or Barnes & Noble or Yes, Amazon too. Well, I will make sure we include in the show notes links so people can go and pre-order this book and make it the best seller it deserves to be. <laughs> well, I'm sure my publisher would be thrilled to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can say this, Rand, knowing you for many, many years, the struggles that you've gone through and everything behind what it took to create and build Moz, you can never really appreciate the journey and all it took to get to this point and beyond until you read it in Lost and Founder. And again, I can't stress this enough. If you are thinking about starting a tech company, have already started one, or been a founder of any type of company, you will absolutely want to read about Rand's journey. So Rand, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh my gosh, no, my pleasure. My, my big goal is uh, you're going to make a lot of mistakes growing your business. You just don't have to make exactly the same ones that I did. Well, we are at the end of the show. And Katie, do you have any parting thoughts? Just another resounding thank you. Uh, The book is incredible. I couldn't recommend it more myself also. Um, And thank you for sharing some more about SparkToro. We're all very excited about your next ventures. I, I am too. Katie, Sean, thank you so much for having me. And that is it for us on this episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. Don't forget to check out our show notes at rainmaker.fm for links to Rand's book. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to give us a rating on Apple iTunes or Google Play. Thanks again for listening, and we will be back next week for another episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. Hey everyone, this is Sean Jackson, the host of The Digital Entrepreneur, and I want to ask you a simple question. What is your business framework for selling digital goods online? Now, if the question perplexes you, don't worry, you are not alone. Most people don't realize that the most successful digital entrepreneurs have a framework or a general process for creating and selling their digital goods in the online space. 
And one of the best free resources is Digital Commerce Academy. Digital Commerce Academy combines online learning with case studies and webinars created by people who make a living selling digital goods online. And the best part is that this material is free when you register. Are you interested in joining? Well, I'll make it easy for you. If you're listening to the show on your phone and are in the continental United States, I want you to send a text message to 313131 with the keyword digits, D-I-G-I-T-S. And when you send that text message, we will send you a link to the registration form right to your phone. Are you outside the United States? Don't worry. Just send us an email to digits at rainmaker.fm. Either way, we'll send you a link to the registration form so that you can sign up for free for Digital Commerce Academy. And as a special bonus, we will also subscribe you to our newsletter when you text or email us so that you can stay informed with the latest insights from the show. And don't worry, we respect your privacy and we will not share your email or phone number and you can easily unsubscribe at any time. So if you want to start building or improving your framework for selling digital goods online, then please send a text to 313131 with the keyword digits or send us an email at digits at rainmaker.fm. You won't be disappointed.